In this month's episode, we explore the traditional values of Oldham Hume Grammar School by speaking to two of our former head teachers. Margaret Winfield was headmistress of the girls' school from 1975 until 1985, after which she moved on to Bath to take up the post of head teacher at Bath High School. Tim Turvey joined Hume from Monkton Coombe School in Bath in 1990 as deputy head, being promoted to headmaster of the boys' school in 1995. Tim moved on to be headmaster of the King's School in Chester in 2000. So to Margaret, first of all, Margaret, kindly describe the school um, that you worked in for our listeners. Well, as you realise, it was 35 years ago since I left. So if my memory is playing tricks with me, uh, you'll have to forgive me. But the school that I came to in 1975 was a traditional girls' grammar school. The senior school was two-form entry, um, girls from 11 to 18, and usually about 30 in each form group. And then there was the junior school in Estcourt uh, from years 9 to 11. So altogether, the school was about 400 in total. As you know, we have a shared governing body with a boys' school. Uh, But one of the things that struck me straight away when I first came was the tradition of family involvement in the life of the school. The girls often had brothers in the boys' school, and it wasn't unknown for there to be three generations of Hume girls uh, with the pupil that we'd got, the grandmother and the mother. And that was something which was very special and, of course, added to the traditions. But also, it was a very busy working place. The girls were expected to work hard academically, and they had a great desire to achieve. But there were also a number of extracurricular activities, and that meant heavy involvement both from staff and from girls. Thank you, Margaret. I I enjoyed what you said about the tradition of family involvement. It actually sounds, although it was 35 years ago, it actually sounds that the school hasn't changed a great deal in many respects. Certainly that tradition of family involvement and the extracurricular programme are things that we're still very proud of. Uh, Tim, how about the boys' school at the time that you joined us? Yeah, very similar to to what Margaret was saying, really. I mean, it came as a great culture shock to me because I moved the the opposite direction to Margaret. I came up from Bath to Oldham, never having been in Oldham before. And when I'd finally found it, this extraordinary Victorian edifice sitting on the, on the, on the hill in the middle of what had once been obviously very prosperous weaving, was it wool or was it cotton? Cottonopolis it was, was, cotton, wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah, Cottonopolis. But also in the middle of the Bangladeshi and Pakistani communities in Oldham. And it it was uh, just a an extraordinary experience for somebody who's coming from a strongly Church of England um, evangelical boys boarding school in lush Bath. But contrary to all the expectations, um, as Margaret said, just a family-oriented school where values mattered, both values about education but also moral values. And and I think this importance of making sure that the children as I saw them then but now we talk about as students and learners um, the importance of them espousing the values that we their parents and their teachers all upheld it was great 
Thank you, Tim. But perhaps we'll explore later what it is that keeps those traditional values through the generations. Perhaps it's what Margaret said about the, you know, the families. The, you know, Claire is a former pupil of the school and her children came here. And we have a, a number of families who, you know, three and in some cases four generations have all been through the school. Thank you. Yes, uh, uh- that's absolutely true, John. I, I back in the 1980s, and I left in 1990, so my time didn't overlap with you, Tim, but I do recognise both of your recollections of, of the school at that time. Now, one of my strongest memories was the absolute separation between the boys and the girls' school, um, and you've both uh, talked about that. Did you know of any mixing between the boys and the girls, um, whether that was official or whether that was the unofficial mixing that um, some of us tried to keep from our head head teacher. Mixing? <laughs> Gracious me. I remember that, that we had, we had that there were two drives, aren't there? And one was the boys' drive and one was the girls' drive. And when I arrived, I was horrified to discover that um, boys were from time to time punished because they had been seen or heard fraternising with a girl at the gates where the two drives intersected. I mean, I, 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 inhuman, but, but it was done and the boys grinned and shrugged and, you know, it was extraordinary. Well, there must have been a lot of unofficial mixing because if you look back to see how many old boys have married old oh, girls, yeah. yes. a lot went on that I didn't know about. Um, <laughs> But, of course, there was also, and Tim will remember, the Iron Curtain. The Green Bay's Door. remember the Iron Curtain. Yes. I think very often it was actually locked, wasn't it? It, It's it's now symbolically propped open. Even (laughs) staff were afraid to go through it. I remember um, I I was afraid to go into the girls' school staff room. I was afraid to pass through that door. I think there were some um, lucky, I'm calling them lucky girls, who did pass through that door during my time. And I think they were those who were in the choral society. And I think a friend of mine joined the Choral Society basically because she wanted to pass through that door. Luckily, she was also a wonderful singer. But uh, that was one of the legitimate reasons. And there weren't (laughs) many legitimate reasons for going through that door, I can tell you. So what about the staff? Because when I've met with old boys, you know, afterwards, as we approach our later years, we talk about different staff and the staff didn't tend to, from our memories, move between the schools. But did staff um, interact with each other a lot? No. Not at all? Even, even outside school? There was no official sort of mixing. Uh, we didn't have any end-of-term meals or anything of that nature. But I think there were friendly relations between individual departments because you could draw on one another's expertise. But, of course, as there was no joint teaching in my time, um, that meant it was much more difficult. But if you were thinking in terms of Thornycroft, where there was the shared building for the art facilities, um, there was obviously a closer relationship there than there was in in some of the other departments. There was no hostility. It was just that uh, ne'er the twain shall meet. It was extraordinary, really, to think that these two two establishments with their young people, as, as we've already said, many brothers and sisters, how they could mm. could exist and operate so close together, yet with so little real meaningful contact. Mm. And it, it, mm. looking back on it, you say it, it, it's crazy. And yet it worked. 
Uh, and to Margaret, Margaret, what were the perceptions of the boys' school in the girls' school at the time? Is it something that you thought about or was it just another school that happened to share the same site? Well, they were just there. The boys were just there. And they didn't really impinge too much on my life. My greatest involvement was when, for instance, a cricket ball came through the sixth form uh, common room window. Then I did used to get a bit aerated. Um, But... (laughs) Hey, look, I can, I can cap, I can cap that, Margaret, because when I was de- when I was deputy head, the boys used to play football at lunchtime on the tennis courts down the the over yes. towards the park, and footballs used to go through the staff common room window of the girls' school with great regularity, such that I, as deputy, would spend part of my weekend buying flyaway footballs up Cheatham Hill by the <laughs> 50 at a time and store them in my study and those were given to the boys so that they couldn't break any more windows in the girls staff room to save me grief Tim that's that's a tradition <laughs> that's carried on to today really uh, John Budding the current the current deputy principal John Budding has a supply of lightweight footballs in his office and there's a queue uh, but the good thing is nowadays actually there's a queue of boys and girls outside his office each lunchtime wanting to buy a football for a pound yeah. so it's a tradition you started <laughs> that's carried on till today yeah. and does he have to go and buy them himself? I think he orders them online now. I don't think he has to go up Cheatham Hill. I think, that, I think they <laughs> come from Amazon. They come from Amazon these days, probably from China. Oh, gosh, yeah. 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 And, and Margaret, what were the challenges <laughs> facing the school in your day? The challenges? Well, um, there were considerable challenges because very soon after I became head, we lost the direct grant. So immediately there was a problem that some parents were unable to form uh, to afford the education. Uh, and that was a great sadness because clearly they were going to benefit from it. So the governors decided that they would launch an appeal. And one was very humbled by this because people were giving quite large sums of money who really couldn't properly afford it. But because they believed so firmly in what Hume could offer. And that gave you a very special sense that you had to do the best possible job. Uh, So that was definitely providing bursaries was one of the major challenges. And of course, recruiting was always a challenge because uh, in Greater Manchester, you know how many other uh, competitors there are. Bury wasn't very far away, Manchester High School, Withington Girls School. And so we had to keep our end up. Uh, But we did have a niche clientele, particularly from the Oldham area. And it was very important always. Well, I remember the head from the school that I left once said to me, Margaret, never refuse an invitation to go out and speak to people because that will keep the name of your school alive. And that was what I tried to do all the time. But it was hard work. It was challenging. It was so That really strikes a chord, Margaret. We are having exactly the same conversations at governor's meetings and we've maybe more formalised now with Claire's appointment as development director and a marketing admissions and development committee, a governor's committee, but we're having exactly the same conversations even now. Yeah, and how about you, Tim? Were, were there similar challenges in the boys' school? Yes, I think, I think those, those challenges are, are there, as you say, for all time. And I think what, what, one of the things that struck me was the um, vision of the governors um, because, of course, during my time uh, and Geoffrey Duncan's time, we did this building development where they 
effectively the first floor was put on the whole school, which was a very, very bold step to take, given the circumstances that Margaret was referring to, when, when it, 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 it could have tipped the other way, but they saw with faith that the school was clearly offering something that, that wasn't otherwise available, and therefore let's, let's build on that and, and build on the, that faith that we had. And, and it was justified in the end, wasn't it? You know? Mm-hmm. I remember. I can remember that now seeing the the team of cleaners working their way down the corridor, sweeping and cleaning, and behind them <laughs> the mist of dust settling once again on these newly clean surfaces. And that went on for months and months and months. Oh. But it was, um, it, it was, and we we went on working, didn't we? The whole school operated despite the building work going on within it throughout a couple of years. 28 years ago it was, Tim, because the extension was being put on. The first floor was being put on when I came for interview. And when I joined the school in 92, um, it had just been completed. Gosh, yes. That's a while back, isn't it? That sounds like some interesting on-site physics lessons could have been done there to talk about, you know, particle movement and the settling of dust and that kind of thing. You might have missed a trick there. (laughs) Oh, yes. Brownian motion, I think they call it. I was never very good at physics. Um, so let's speak more generally about education. I mean, things have changed. We, we recognise that they have changed. But from your experience, both at Hume and at the other schools that you taught at and led, how has education changed in your lifetime as, as teachers? Margaret, shall we start with you? Well, of course, it's changed out of all recognition. In, uh, if we talk about my lifetime, which the question was, well, we're talking a span of over 80 years. I mean, that's a huge amount of time. And if it hadn't changed, uh, I would be profoundly worried uh, because you you build on the traditions of the past and you move forward the whole time. The legacy is there from the past. But of course, one of the most outstanding uh, differences is the arrival of technology in our lives. And I remember when very soon after I became a head at Hume, I was invited with another a number of other head teachers to go um, and visit Manchester Grammar School, which had acquired a computer. Well, this was a novelty beyond all novelties. Or when we went, I'd never seen anything like it. It filled the entire room. It was huge. And when you think of the uh, laptops, the uh, tablets that uh, pupils carry around now and have access to so much information, it's almost beyond belief. And of course, without that in the pandemic, they couldn't have managed because that was the way they accessed all the learning that was sent through schools. And then, of course, we've got New, sub, new subjects coming in, uh, information technology, design technology. And by the end of my headship, we were teaching A-level philosophy, business studies, dance. But of course, this sadly led to a decline in numbers of those opting for modern foreign languages, uh, for the classics. And that's still with us today. Changes in emphases. You've only to think, and I'm sure you remember, Claire, um, what was uh, home economics began as domestic science, and that was simply cooking. And then it moved within uh, design technology, and you got far more scientific analysis of the food, and you got projects to do. And then, of course, there's the whole style of examinations, the new methods of testing, the submission of coursework, new names for exams, new grading. I can't keep up with it all now. I find it a jolly hard job to be a head teacher now. 
But, yeah. you know, having said all that, um, there were underlying values which remain absolutely the same, um, encouraging all our students to learn independently, to think for themselves. And there was the opportunity for each girl uh, to believe that she could succeed, particularly in subjects that might have been classed as traditional boys' subjects like physics, chemistry, biology. Um, there was none, none of that sort of division in a girls' school. They weren't boys' subjects. They could take them and they could flourish. And indeed, many did go on to university to study those subjects. I've probably said too much. It's Tim's turn now. The only thing you didn't, you haven't referred to, is that that, that, that was a was a uh, quite a challenge to us. I think was the uh, arrival of email, and I recall uh, and mobile phones. I mean, I recall certainly us saying, "No, children may not have mobile phones in school nowadays." That's we're now coming back to that, perhaps. But um, emails, gracious me, that every parent should be able to know my email address. No way. You know, our days we wrote letters. Letters went home and, and came back from parents. But the whole way in which we interact with each other, both colleagues, pupils and parents, has has changed beyond all recognition. It must be very difficult Absolutely. now. And do you think anything stayed the same, Tim? The children. Underneath, underneath it all, the children who love to be at school, who recognise that they want the companionship of their peers, who respond positively to what I would call traditional teachers, people who are in the profession because it's a vocation. I mean, this is what this is what the schools really were about, wasn't it? That we had people who taught because they loved teaching, children who learnt because they enjoyed the learning experience, teachers who worked with and were prepared to give more than was required by the limited contracts and so on it, 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 that 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 remains the same and that i think is true of every good school still definitely at, at, at human and definitely in the schools i've worked in it's it's always been the case and margaret what would you say stayed the same yeah i would uh, echo exactly what tim said there's a lot of legacy of the past that remains with Hume. And one can see by reading in the magazines and uh, things that come up on the website that the school has continued to build on those. But there are cer certain things, they're intangible things. They remain and they're deeply embedded in the life of the school and the standards of the school. Um, and I'd say things as well like community spirit, um, loyalty, belief in the importance of standards, not just academic standards, but personal standards. Um, and then the, the willingness of the parents uh, to contribute to the life of the school and to be part of the community of the school. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I think one of the things that strikes me is when you talk about the school during your time and some of the traditional elements, for me, from my memory, one of those traditional elements was a willingness to push the envelope. To and, and Margaret talked about her visit to Manchester Grammar School and the computer. And I remember with great excitement the arrival of, an, of a BBC computer into the girls' school. So when Margaret talks about you know, a kind of fact-finding mission, she then translated that into something real that was of benefit to the students. And I think that continues this kind of pushing the envelope, that change from domestic science to home economics. And that's mm. where I learned how to wire a plug. Um, so, it, you know, it moved on from just cooking to other helpful things. 
but however I also was taught mm. how to make a wonderful flower arrangement and and lay a table for a formal dinner skills that I you know still still use today so some of those traditions are, are, are equally as important I think and just pushing that envelope I, I see it in the school today. What I would love to hear is from a boy in this school or any other school saying that that uh, along with learning about physics and so on they also enjoyed learning about flower arrangement and how to lay a table and and I think one of the things that struck me recently coming back to Hume is when you walk down the corridor and you've got boys and girls celebrated for achievements in all sorts of fields including there was a there's a boy who's a dancer yep, isn't there? Yep. Reese. Yeah, Reese went on to be um, Billy Elliot, Reece, and he's still doing fantastic. That's right. Yeah. And and I think I think this this stretching the boundaries of what is possible, what can be done, what is available, what can be achieved without anybody laughing at you for making the wrong choice, and so on. That's hugely important. And I think that was something that that when I first arrived at Hume was perhaps less understood and tolerated and celebrated. But I'm you know, I'm delighted by what I see now, which suggests that actually this sort of breaking out of the expected mould into other things is encouraged and celebrated by all. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Can I ask you both what you enjoyed most about your time at Hume? Shall we go with Margaret first? Well, I think it was probably the opportunity to run a school. But that would have meant absolutely nothing if there wasn't the great warmth of relationships within the school, uh, both with the staff, with the pupils, with the parents, and with the governors. And I think it's symptomatic of the fact that I hear from a great many of them still at Christmas uh, with letters telling me about their families, their children, and even their grandchildren. My word, that makes me feel old. But it was a really, really happy time. And Tim? Yeah, big band. You see, I came as a deputy and I'd been a director of studies before and I came as a deputy. I loved being a deputy. I love moving chairs and this sort of thing. And to be able <laughs> to be able to start a big band and in, in a small way fill a niche as an ordinary teaching member of the community was fabulous. And then, you know, the rest and the headship and so on all followed from that. But... Um, it, it it was about relationships, and and as Margaret has said, the the what goes on between people at Hume is just so special, and it was very much that. Thank you for mentioning Big Band, Tim. That was one of the things I was I was appointed. This is my last formal duty for the school after twenty eight years recording this podcast. But I was appointed because they needed a biology teacher, but I happened to be able to play the double bass, and I think I think. I think my ability, I've told this story before, my ability to play the double bass had much more influence on my appointment than, uh, than my ability as a biology teacher. But the big band was one of the things that really attracted me to the school. And it was fantastic when we were doing that. I enjoyed every minute of that. Yeah. And I think, I think one, of the, one, of the, one of the lovely things about it was that, that we as a mix, and we had girls and boys in it, and we went, we went around local communities. We played for civic functions. We mm, played for yes. community functions, garden <clears> parties, <throat> Masonic dues. We yeah. played in Manchester, in Oldham. In, you know, uh, we we were unconsciously, if you like, taking the name of Hume Grammar School and boys and girls from the Hume Grammar Schools all around the the locality. It was it was a fabulous bit of outreach. 
Margaret, Tim, thank you so much. It's so lovely to speak to you, really. Thank you so much uh, to both of you. Well, it's been a trip down memory lane for both of us. Uh, and we love a bit of nostalgia. <laughs> but, John, can we give you our very good yes, wishes absolutely. for the future and hope you enjoy your new post very, very much. Yes. Thank you, Margaret. Um, I hope we'll stay in touch. I really do. I hope through, through Claire yeah. and, and through Hume, I hope we'll stay in touch. But thank you very much for that. So that was Margaret Winfield and Tim Turvey, previous head teachers at Hume. Thank you to you both for coming on to this episode of the podcast. Now, this was episode number three of the school's podcast channel. So the next episode is coming out soon. To make sure that you don't miss it, now is the time to follow this podcast channel. And that just means when the next episode comes out, you'll get a small notification to let you know that it's available. But that's so you don't miss the next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Bye for now.